Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? We are going to do a deep dive into vitamin D. And when I like to get real nerdy, I like to have Carly on. (laughs) So (laughs) she is back on the podcast to do this deep dive with us, lead us through it. Um, You know, there's been a lot of talk about vitamin D. It's getting a lot of awareness, a lot of recognition um, due to this crazy pandemic times that we're living in. Um, People are recognizing the importance of it. But are we overemphasizing it? Are we missing some information here? I think we might be. And so we're going to go through it all today. Carly is um, a a registered nurse. She's a, a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. She's a lot of things. She's got a lot of letters behind <laughs> her name. She is super smart. Um, and this, this kind of stuff is her jam. So I am so happy to have you back on my friend. Welcome back, Carly, to the Christian Health Club podcast. Yay. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you everyone for having me back, especially you, Chelsea. And yes, I'm always excited to give context to a topic that I feel like is not fully explored and all the nuances are kind of left, left in the dust, so to speak. So I'm excited to, to chat more about vitamin D with you. (laughs) Yeah. So let's just start. um, What is vitamin D? I mean, kind of give us the, the more context and fullness just around what it is. Right, for sure. So I will apologize in advance, everyone for speaking quickly, but there's a lot of information and I want to make sure I cover it all. So vitamin D, we're going to talk about vitamin D from both a conventional perspective, a functional perspective, like a functional medicine perspective, and also going beyond that, going to the very very root causes of disease. So vitamin D has been talked about a lot in recent years. I know when I first came into this field, vitamin D supplementation was just not that common. It was considered to be something we got pretty readily from foods. A lot of our foods are fortified, which is not an ideal source, which we'll get into, But, you know, with sun exposure, I lived in Florida. I never really thought about vitamin D. But in the last couple of years, there have been some studies that have come out um, with an association between low serum vitamin D, so that will be 25-hydroxy vitamin D level, and some disease states. So we'll talk about the different forms of vitamin D, but that specific marker has been correlated to some disease states. And so this, in turn, has created this kind of like heated, like back-and-forth debate between people saying, okay, everyone has to supplement with high doses of vitamin D. Other people saying, no, vitamin D can be toxic. You shouldn't take it, all that kind of stuff. So we're trying to figure out the nuance here. There's all these things where we have to figure out the definition of vitamin D deficiency, how much vitamin D is necessary for health, what are the good sources, all of that stuff. And kind of the the, the purpose behind this podcast is to talk about the correlation between vitamin D and these other factors. 
correlation does not mean that vitamin D causes or doesn't cause or inhibits any of these things. And just because low vitamin D is present in some disease states doesn't mean that we have to take high dose supplements with it and doesn't mean that will fix the problem. So you're, vitamin D. Itself, you're probably already <laughs> blowing people's mind because I, I just like to interject because I think a lot of yeah. people, um, you know, it's like vitamin D is this, you know, just ah, like, you know, the angels are singing Angel. around it. And they, <laughs> the, our listeners probably don't realize like back here in the background, there's like all of this, there's some controversy going right. on. And so they don't even, aren't even aware of that. It's kind of like with the right. fish oil situation. There's a whole bunch of little chatter in the background um, mm-hmm. that most people are not aware of. So that's kind of what we're bringing to light today and just kind of looking at both sides of this. So go ahead. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. And I will say, I always pay a lot of attention to things that when I first see them, I don't like it. Like I have this gut reaction of like, I don't want this information because it's going to, it's going to mess with everything I know. And this is one of those topics. And so it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of like thinking and being open and molding your mind to learn about how this, you know, this might be different from my preconceived notions and that's okay. And that's one of my big things as a practitioner is constantly learning and being willing to say, you know what, I didn't know everything about this at one point and I thought this was the cure-all for everything. And now that I've learned more and gained more context and clarity around the situation, I'm really able to give a fuller perspective. So yeah, I'm excited to do that. But, you know, vitamin D itself is a biologically inert compound. So when we talk about vitamin D, you know, colloquially, when we say, oh yeah, your vitamin D level is X, we're usually referring to one of its steroid forms. There's vitamin D2 and vitamin D3. So the five forms of vitamin D are generally known as calciferol. Um, And then there's pre, like there's prefixes to each one of those. And so those primary forms are vitamin D2 and vitamin D3. So D2 is ergocalciferol and D3 is colocalciferol. This is all just nomenclature, but it gives you an idea of what these things are called. So if I'm going back and forth between different names, you know, because I think it's important to know what which compound I'm talking about when I say vitamin D. So in terms of the overall overview of what vitamin D is, it's a steroid, function as a hormone. It was actually identified as a vitamin when it was discovered early in about the 20th century. Um, there was a disease called rickets, which was essentially this disease where bones would become very brittle and break because of extreme vitamin D deficiency, people weren't getting sunlight, and they were malnourished. And so it would cause this severe rickets bone disease, which also um, was part of it was high phosphate levels as well. Um, So vitamin D is considered a vitamin technically, not a hormone, because it is an essential nutrient for those who are not exposed to adequate sunlight. So there are people that say, it's not a vitamin at all. It acts like a hormone in the body, but technically it can still be a vitamin because Without it, we can have negative effects like those bone effects I was talking about. Okay, that's good clarification. Um, Okay, so if we're talking about testing, what, I mean, what is there, you know, I've always tested with the the 25 hydroxy, right? So Mm -hmm. um, is that not the best test? What is the best test? What's, (laughs) oh, this is such a can of worms. I love it. Okay. So the best testing to get done, oh, my fave, I love, I love a whole, I love a deep dive. Okay. So the best testing to get done for vitamin D status. So most tests, even like a functional med doctor may just be running a 25 hydroxy vitamin D. So what that looks like is 25 parenthesis, OH parenthesis D, (laughs) if that makes sense. Um, And that is actually a hormone precursor. So that's not the most biologically active form, 
that form does do something, the 25-hydroxy, but it's not as active. It doesn't have as potent of an effect. So when we're talking about like the one that's most active in the body, the bioactive form, that's 1, 25-OH2D. So 1,25-dihydroxyvitamin D, and that's our bioactive form. So unfortunately, the vast majority of people are getting tested using that 25-hydroxy alone. And why is that? So again, it goes back to corporate things. <laughs> We've talked about this a lot. Um, in 1997, the Institute of Medicine, which is a great governing body that really puts out a lot of clinical guidelines for, for medicine, and they defined that serum 25-hydroxy vitamin D as the functional indicator of vitamin D status. So they said, okay, if you're testing vitamin D, doctors, this is what you should be testing. And technically, that is more of a biomarker of an exposure and more of a reflection of the supply of vitamin D to the body. So it's a combination of the incoming contributions from both your skin and what you're taking in orally and by supplement, like so food, supplements, and skin. Um, the thing is, that's not actually telling you how it's working in your body because you could have high 25-hydroxy vitamin D and your 125-dihydroxy vitamin D could actually be low. And that's the more important form for your health, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when you're looking at like hormone testing and stuff, like what is the active form, yeah. right? Yeah. Like your testosterone could be great and your free testosterone could be horrible. <laughs> right. Like your, yeah, that, your T3 yeah, or really your horrible. free right. T3. <laughs> yes. Okay. So that's kind of the difference we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's because the 25-hydroxy was part of the guidelines. It's a lot easier to test. So that's why it's the one that's always tested. And so you could you could have a low 25-hydroxy and your 125-OH2D could be totally fine. Um and so getting both tested is really recommended for this reason. Like even the genetic testing that I did on my report, it actually said get both tested because I have some genetic predispositions, which I'll talk about later, to having low vitamin D. Um, and so because of that, they recommended getting both tested. Um, so some other markers that you can actually check to see how your vitamin D is working because vitamin D is not like this, you know, one thing. Like everything in the body, we talk about this a lot, Chelsea, is like a domino. So you do one thing and it sets off a whole row of a bunch of other dominoes. <laughs> right. It's not as simple as like, it's a puzzle piece and I, I fill it. It, it, it like affects everything else. So we can't just be as simple, as simplistic to say, it's, it's a very, very conventional approach to be like blood pressure. Hi, give blood pressure medicine, beep, boop, beep. Like we're not doing that. We have to be very, <laughs> that's my robot voice. But we have to think critically, like, why is this happening? And what am I causing by possibly giving that first domino? What's, what are the downstream effects? So some other markers that also impact vitamin D, it's part of this really complex interplay. We have calcium. We have parathyroid hormone. We have magnesium. So those are the main players that I'll talk about. Of course, there are other things, but those things are kind of harder to test. So a calcium level can actually be elevated, artificially elevated in vitamin D supplementation because vitamin D can stimulate bone breakdown. So if you're taking like super high doses of vitamin D, like 100,000, I've seen people taking 50,000. If they had super low vitamin D, sometimes they're recommended to take high doses for a week or two weeks or once a week. Um, those high doses can actually stimulate osteoclast, which is the, the cells that break down bone, which then releases calcium out of the bone into the bloodstream. So it's causing increased calcium levels. You could have an increased calcium level, 
You could also have staying in that mineral vein, that magnesium RBC, that red blood cell magnesium could be low. An optimal magnesium, red blood cell magnesium is going to be six or, or above. And the vast majority of people fall very short of that. So looking at your calcium level, making sure that's in a normal range, same with your parathyroid hormone, which helps to regulate calcium, magnesium, vitamin D, all of those things on your parathyroid levels could be off either high or low because of this, because of excess vitamin D. Um, and then your magnesium would likely be low. Um, so if your magnesium is low, you're not as able to absorb vitamin D. So all these things are related. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like, it's not as simple as, hey, just take some vitamin D. If you don't have the cofactors, that's a problem. Right. It's a major problem because then now you have one thing that's not in proper ratio to the way that God made it. Like we talk about getting things from foods, which I'll talk about later. God made things with these perfect ratios of vitamin D to magnesium to vitamin K. And so everything works in this beautiful synergy versus giving things in isolation. It's not God's design and it throws other things off. So we'll talk, we'll continue to talk more about that. But those are some the blood testing markers that you can look at to see if your vitamin D status and testing and, and your function of your metabolic system related to mineral balance is working well. Okay. That's, um, Ooh, all right. I think we got everybody's ears <laughs> perked. Okay. <laughs> so yes, what else do we need to know? Just trying to educate you guys. I promise. Well, we'll, we'll get to some, we'll get to some real action steps. I, I promise we'll, we'll talk all around it and then we'll get to the, down to the root of it. Promise. Yeah, no, but this is so, <laughs> this is so good. It's thorough. Okay. So why, why does it get low? Um, just what are some reasons that it, it might get low? So, so, so many reasons. Okay, we'll talk about that. So, you know, the answer here is not to just blindly supplement like we talk about. You know, like we have to look at why something's low. We can't just say, oh, it's low, Band-Aid. Let's give B12. Let's give vitamin D. Let's give blah, blah, blah. Let's give zinc. Um, so let's talk about reasons why it could get low. So genetics, there's some genetic defects or even some genes that can be activated with poor diet, stress, and inflammation. There's some lifestyle factors related to it, and there's also nutritional and supplement factors. So starting with genetics, there's a vitamin D receptor that's really, really important for the processing of vitamin D and you know transition of that non-active form or that less active form, 25-hydroxy to the 125-dihydroxy. And so genetic defects in that vitamin D receptor can result in, in clinical vitamin D deficiency. Um, there's also a couple of mutations um, in a couple of genes that have been identified that lead to hereditary vitamin D resistance. And like I said, genes aren't just like, you aren't just a sitting duck waiting for your genes to be expressed. It's in situations where you're under a lot of stress. You have a ton of oxidative stress, whether it's emotional, physical, you know, high inflammation levels. Um, Poor diet is a huge stressor to the body, and that can activate genes like CYP2R1, um, and that gene actually can create low circulating vitamin D levels because, again, it, it changes the way that the receptors and the system processes vitamin D and makes it harder for your system to hang on to it. Okay. Wow. Okay. So that would make a good one to look for, a good reason um, to get the genetic testing. Right. And I, I recommend it's called nutrition genome. Um, it's not like the most complete genetic test in the world, but it does allow you to, it gives you a report that anyone can read. It's very nice to read. 
Um, and I love showing clients like their report. It's really fun to, to go through with them. Um, but I really encourage that one because you, it's very translatable. There's also really like intense genetic testing you can do, um, but it's not quite as like, you know, real, real language friendly. It's very like um, scholarly <laughs> and erudite, and that's just beyond me. <laughs> I can't think of much beyond you, sister. You've got a lot of smarts up in there. I like I like non fancy words. I think it I think it works. Better. I think it works better for everyone. People people, the, people trying to people trying to impress everyone with their big words, but they don't need to. Um, but yeah, that's genetic testing. The other thing is lifestyle. So we talked about this a lot, Chelsea. People not going outside you need to go outside. You need to get sun on your face. Um, people that have poor diets, especially diets, so they're just like just straight up malnourished. They're not getting pretty much any fat soluble vitamins. Um, and then also the sick or the elderly. And we don't really understand why this is, but it may be something where the the conversion of vitamin D from the inactive form that you're actually intaking, um, whether via sun, food, whatever, to the conversion of the active form is downregulated. It, there could be a million reasons for this, but there, it's thought to be, there's thought to be a couple things behind this. Possibly, you know, increased vitamin D can suppress the immune system. And so as you're older, um, there's possibly something where the body is being smart and it's downregulating vitamin D so that you're able to, you know, fight off infections and stay healthy for longer. So there's so much going on in my brain regarding this topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> I promise I will. It's a circus, but I'm, I'm taming the circus. But that's, there's so many things that this is related to. So it's not as simple as, oh, vitamin D is low, give it. Because what if the body is actually working for you and downregulating vitamin D for a reason? You know, think about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, we hear so much like vitamin D is the, you know, the holy grail of disease, of, of improving disease. <laughs> I mean, is that really, right. is that true? I mean, because, you know, I think people right now are really scared. And so there might be a lot of high dosers out there and they're probably like, wait, am I doing the wrong thing? We don't want to confuse people, but we just want to bring the information so you make a good, um, a good choice. Right. No, it's it's hard. We'll get into the immune system argument in a second um, as well. But just just kind of keep that in mind. Like think about think about root causes. So speaking of root causes, the real root causes, in my opinion, are things like nutritional and supplement factors. So talking about cofactors for vitamin D absorption, those are things like magnesium and copper, having sufficient magnesium, having sufficient copper. Those are two things that work for to make our metabolic machinery. So like our mitochondria can produce more ATP. They help our immune system, you know, fight off infection, all these things. So if we don't have enough magnesium and copper, we're not going to be able to properly process vitamin D. Um, so low vitamin D levels can be contributed to by things like low magnesium levels um, and decreased copper. On the converse side of that, it could also be be contributed to by things like elevated iron levels or elevated zinc. Um, iron and copper are kind of antagonistic. Um, frenemies. Frenemies. <laughs> and zinc and copper are kind yeah. of antagonistic as well. Um, so if you're taking zinc, it may be depleting your copper. Um, if, you're, if your iron levels are elevated, and this is a whole other thing, we'll get into this later. If your iron levels are elevated in your tissue, if you have, quote unquote, low iron on your blood work, um, you will also have decreased copper. Um, because the copper and the iron kind of switch places. So all these things can be related. So just think about magnesium and copper um, and reducing iron and zinc um, for 
like reducing zinc supplementation is more the thing, not zinc from foods um, as ways to improve vitamin D status. Um, so low vitamin D is associated with long-term poor health, chronic infections, chronic disease. But again, the answer is to correct the underlying imbalances, not just take something for it so it like looks better on a lab. It's like shining up a car that's like totally trashed on the inside. Like the outside's so beautiful and cool, but the inside looks awful. (laughs) (laughs) That might be my car. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I might be saying that from experience. Um, Hang on real quick though. I have a question. Or just, I know, I, I know somebody out there like, wait, I'm taking a lot of zinc right now because that's what I'm mm-hmm. supposed to do for, you know, I'm trying to elevate my zinc for all this, you know, protective um, immunity situation. So, you know, again, we've talked about here before, like the um, the zinc and the copper being frenemies and such. And so what do you say to somebody that might be a little like this made them a little nervous about their taking zinc? Right. So I actually was listening to um, Dr. Ben Edwards he was previously on the podcast. Um, and what he recommends to his patients is he says that they should be taking, they shouldn't be taking copper or zinc long term, but they can take zinc for short term immune support um, because it will kind of activate that antiviral activity and it is important. But long term, you're just throwing off your your copper mm-hmm. really, really badly. And that can over time, you know, predispose you to more issues like especially with the immune system. So we need a balance of zinc and copper. And if you are going to take zinc, take one that has copper. So the organic Olivia one that I like, I'm, I should be sponsored by organic Olivia. You should, because um, we've talked about it about two or three times now. <laughs> you guys, I love I love her. But her product, her Zinc Plus is the only zinc that I have people take, to be honest, um, that's not part of another whole food form. So her zinc has cofactors to allow for better absorption it also has about two milligrams of copper, I believe, to about 30 milligrams of zinc. So it's a nice balance. It is still way too much zinc to be taking every single day long term. Mm-hmm. Okay, great answer. Thank you. Of course. And then I think I want to mention another thing about zinc is that if you are having issues with your taste and smell, that can be a sign of zinc deficiency or of zinc excess. So, you know, I think we always think, oh, I have, you know, I don't have good taste and smell. It must be that my zinc is low. It's not always the case. Sometimes it's actually excess. This happened to me, I think it was like a couple months ago. Um, and I was like, uh-oh, I don't have a t- taste and smell. What is that? And then I actually stopped my zinc and it completely fixed it. And hmm. so <laughs> it's one of those things where you don't think that's that's what it is. But high dose zinc for long periods of time can actually create a buildup of zinc, which imbalances your copper and can throw off like the, 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 like really the neural machinery, like all your neurons and all the different sensory inputs that you're getting, it can throw that off and create um, imbalances with your taste and smell. Jeez. (laughs) You know, it's like, we just, this is where we just have to go back to, you know, just God packaged everything. Just, we don't, so smartly in nature, you know, and we can do our best to, you know, put these things together, but really, um, it's just never like it is packaged in nature. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm sighing along with all the people out there like dad gummit. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know. I was sighing too. When I first came across this information and started to question, I was like, ugh, I wish I had not found this, but it's, it's, we're just learning about the way God made us. And it, it, 
it still goes back to the same stuff. It still goes back to that the fact that he made us with this amazing, incredible design. Yes. And he didn't make any mistakes. He didn't create these foods that have all these, you know, deficiencies. Like everything that he made is like the perfect source. So we'll talk about actual sourcing um, of the right types of nutrients to take in. Um, and then I wanted to talk about quickly, what about like an optimal level of vitamin D? Because we talked about like kind of what makes it low, but like what is low? Right, yes. <laughs> like, what does low mean? So there's a couple different opinions on this, which is why it's so hard. So the Institute of Medicine, which is what I told you guys is like a very conventional governing body um, for medicine. Um, they said a risk of deficiency is less than 12 nanograms per milliliter, which is not very much. It's a pretty small amount. Most functional medicine people say 50 to 80, 60 to 80. Um, a risk for insufficiency, IOM says is 12 to 20. Sufficient, they say, is 20. And they don't see any benefit supplementing over 30, um, 30 nanograms per milliliter. Um, and then they say toxicity starts at around 50. Um, and I would actually tend to agree with with that 50-ish cutoff being a little bit too much. Really? Yes. Depending on the person, um, I wouldn't supplement to 50, if that makes sense. Like if you're at 50 from being outside and eating vitamin D rich foods, that's different. But if you're at 20 and you're trying to supplement to get to 50, 60, 80, you have to take a lot. So working on your cofactors, I think around the range of 40 to 50 is, is pretty good. Um, in terms of conventional peeps, they will say like less than 12, less than 20, um, which is too low, just mm -hmm. <laughs> straight up, just too low. And we talked about how it doesn't regulate the immune system in a way. Um, and so we don't want it to be none. We also don't want it to be a, a ton. And the way we get to that level, again, this is still a secondary marker. It's 25 OHD. It's not 125 um, hydroxy di like di <laughs> di so many words. Um, so it's not that actual active form. So endocrine society says less than 20 nanograms per milliliter is deficient and insufficient is 20 to 29. Um, vitamin D council, which is a very functional group, says deficiencies less than 40, optimal 50 to 80. I would say more like 40 to 50, 35 to 50 is what I personally go for for myself um, just because of what I know about excess supplementation and possible, like it, it really depends on the person too. Cause if the person already has a genetic predisposition to be low in vitamin D, you'd have to give them a lot of supplementation to get them up to that high level. And that comes with drawbacks. So we'll talk, we'll talk about that too. So it's not as simple as like, Oh, here's the target for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, so knowing your own status, knowing your own like lifestyle, sun exposure, genetic factors, all that stuff is important. Um, and so I do have a couple of studies to talk about. So there's an elevated, there's one study that showed that elevated 125 hydroxy um, two D leads to bone loss. So it talks about levels above 42 stimul of like of the active form stimulate bone osteoclast again, stimulate that bone breakdown. So again, we don't want that. <laughs> that's <laughs> the active that, form that that's, that's our active that's, form. That's yeah. So it's hard to, right. So when you're looking at that, your, your regular old run of the mill lab test, it's not directly converted to this other one. So we have to just kind of <laughs> extract the data as best as we can and think, okay, so if my vitamin D, like my precursor vitamin D is pretty good, hopefully my active form is pretty good. Um, but again, if we get it from the best sources, we're going to have better conversion and better outcomes in general. So 
There's also a study to kind of, we'll talk about the converse too. I'm not just going to like tell, tell everyone vitamin D is the worst because it's not. Um, in um, Tess, Tess Home et al. in 2021, it's in the journal Frontiers in Public Health. They did a pooled analysis that showed, with, in, that, showed that individuals with vitamin D deficiency were actually 80%, 80% more likely to acquire COVID-19 infection as compared to those who have sufficient vitamin D levels. And that was considered to be less than 20 so that was that was a it's a quite steep difference between their definition of deficiency and like a conventional I say conventional functional like <laughs> and most functional medicine doctors would say like less than forty um, would be deficient. So this you know this showing that eighty percent more likely to acquire COVID nineteen infection again is that the actual cause of acquiring COVID or is that more of a side effect of chronic disease inflammation and poor diet? Um, I would propose that it's the latter, but I don't pretend to know. <laughs> um, like we like we always say, we'll we'll talk about it and we'll give you all the angles, and so you can make your best choice for yourself. So that again, we talked about elevated um, elevated active form leading to bone loss, um, and that elevated active form can actually be correlated with low twenty five D, like super low twenty five D, and so we don't want that precursor form to be super low either. So it's a balance. We're constantly going back and forth looking at cofactors. So let's talk about um, quickly about vitamin D and autoimmunity. Because in my previous functional medicine training, I was told vitamin D is like the miracle thing for autoimmune. Isn't that what you heard, Chelsea? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, oh, it fixes it. It's just like totally just like bippity-boppity-boo, like fixes it. Um, So actually what it does is it reduces symptoms because Vitamin D at high levels can actually suppress the immune system. So again, we want that happy medium. We don't want it too low because then you're not going to have an immune response. We don't want it too high because then you're going to have immune suppression, specifically immune suppression of pro-inflammatory processes. Because we have inflammation, we have different stages of our immune system. We have our inflammatory phase. Um, We need to actually like mount a response to something. And then we have chronic long-term inflammation. So vitamin D just inhibits inflammation. It suppresses the enhanced activity of immune cells that take part in the autoimmune reaction. Um, And so when someone with autoimmunity takes vitamin D, they can feel a lot better and their vitamin D will look better. Again, it's like that shiny new car. Everything looks great on the outside, but underneath it's creating a whole metabolic dysfunction situation. Um, And so they'll actually get clinical disease markers reduced as well. Like maybe they'll have lower antibodies. Maybe they'll have, um, honestly, antibodies are the main, the main thing for autoimmunity. Maybe they'll have lower um, HSCRP. They'll have lower that lower inflammatory marker. So all these things are just important to know. Um, we don't want to use vitamin D as the cure-all for resolving inflammation when we should be looking at why is the inflammation going on. Right. So you're saying... <laughs> Because somebody would say, well, it's the, maybe I have inflammation because I don't have enough vitamin D, but this is what you're talking about. We're a lot of chicken and egg situation here, right? Right. Right. Yes. This is, this is why Chelsea and I avoided doing this podcast for a while because it's (laughs) a lot of information, but I think it's important for you guys to know it's not as simple as low vitamin D, take vitamin D. Um, And the other thing I wanted to mention is the cool thing is the active form of vitamin D actually activates that vitamin D receptor to express antimicrobial peptides, which all of us sciencey people call AMPS, <laughs> AMPS, um, and that's like cathelicidin, beta defensins, and those attack pathogens. I believe I mentioned that on the immune system podcast. So that active form of vitamin D 
does have a really important function within our innate immune system because those antimicrobial peptides are used to kind of basically just fight off those pathogens that are getting in through like nose, throat, eyes, ears, skin, all those things. So that's kind of part of our innate immune system. Vitamin D is critical for that. Okay. Wow. Zers. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. So what do we do? <laughs> what should we do with this? <laughs> good, good question. That's my favorite part. Do we want to talk about the solar, the solar yeah. side of it first? Yeah, let's do Cause I mean, I, you know, um, God made the sun to give us vitamin T, D. I mean, our best source of vitamin D is from the sun. You know, the body generates vitamin D from UVB rays. Yes. Okay. And UVB so, rays, not evil. <laughs> right. Not, not evil. They are good sun rays. But what's so interesting is that, um, the, you know, you always hear you need to go out in the middle of the day to get your sun, to get your vitamin D. And the reason is, is that because the UVB rays only enter the atmosphere when the sun is at an elevation angle from the horizon of greater than 35 degrees. Okay. So that vitamin D is only really um, going to be generated in the middle of the day. So as the sun climbs, the rate of vitamin D generation goes up until it hits that peak, you know, like noon, like the solar noon, that top position, the maximum yeah. UVB mm -hmm. rays is maximum vitamin D generation. And so um, as the sun reaches that 35 degree line again in the afternoon, the UVB rays stop entering the atmosphere. So you do, you have this window. And what I think is so cool, I recently learned this, that as the sun makes its arc, you know, from sunrise to sunset, it sort of goes through this um, spectrum of colors, like the color spectrum of the rainbow, the different light frequencies over the course of the day, are like, like orange, yellow, green, and blue. Um, you know, it kind of works its way through that. But when it's at its peak, when the sun's at its peak, it's like all of the colors, um, the light frequencies are, are present. So it's like you're getting the full spectrum of the rainbow mm -hmm. of color at peak sun time. And I think that's the neatest thing because it's like you always hear eat the rainbow but that's also like we go in and soak in the rainbow we soak in just that awesome light energy right there in the middle of the day so as far as um getting you know prime time vitamin d soakage inage you know it kind of depends where you live right if you live in a city that is at 35 degrees latitude or less from the equator um, you can get vitamin D at some point um, every day because the sun is always 35 degrees off the horizon. Um, if you kind of imagine like a picture of the earth, okay, just kind of imagine that with like a big wide belt going around its middle, which would encompass like the lower half of the U.S. down to most of South America. Everything in between that has a vitamin D opportunity daily throughout the year. But if you're above or below that, those 35 degree latitudinal, latitudinal locations, you can only get vitamin D part of the year. And there's a really good app called D Minder that um, you can download and it you know say where you are, give your zip code and put your age and all this kind of stuff in your skin type, and it will calculate the best times of day for you, um, for vitamin D for you, depending on where you live. So that's kind of cool. And we also have to consider, you know, skin, like you said earlier, skin's like our, our solar panel to soak in it, uh, soak in the sun to get the vitamin D. But um, 
the pigment is the skin's defense against burn. So the lighter your skin, the quicker you're going to generate vitamin D. The darker your skin, the less vitamin D you're going to generate. You also want to have, you know, enough skin exposed to be able to have that direct contact. Uh, contact. And also body weight will affect how well you generate vitamin D because uh, the more weight, excess weight you have on you, the less able you are able to generate and use vitamin D because vitamin D will be held in those fat stores. So that's kind of interesting, kind of held hostage in your fat stores. Um, <laughs> and, and just as we age, you kind of mentioned this earlier, as we age in general, it, it takes a little longer to, to generate vitamin D. By the time we turn 50, it takes twice as long. So um right. We kind of have that working against us, but, um, but all that to say the sun is really our best, you know, form of getting vitamin D and that's how God made our bodies, which I think is just so amazing, especially when you think of all of that, um, the color spectrum and everything. Um, but if we cannot get in the sun during the day, there are other things that we can do. So why don't you tell us more, um, kind of go into that. Well, there are so many things. I mean, first of all, yes, the sun is incredibly important. I will say that oftentimes a symptom of like longstanding chronic disease is not being able to tolerate sun exposure, easy burning, all of that type of stuff, excess inflammation that can be contributed to by those PUFAs that Chelsea's talked about, those polyunsaturated fatty acids, excess PUFA intake, um, inflammatory diet, lots of like grain and seed oils, all that jazz lots of soy, lots of processed food can can decrease our tolerance to the sun. And so if it's a, your first time going back in the sun, start it slow. <laughs> start with five minutes. Over time, your skin will become accustomed to it. Um, and so I think that's really important to, to think about. And um, you can also, if you're somebody that is really sensitive to the sun, um, be using sunscreen on those parts of your body that are more sensitive to sun using a mineral-based sunscreen again, like a zinc-based sunscreen, which we've talked about zinc, um, to help kind of block some of those rays on your more like on your face um, and neck and that kind of thing. But just trying to get as much of your skin exposed um, at a rate that you tolerate. um, And so you aren't burning, but over time, your tolerance should increase. And as your overall resilience, overall health can increase. It's not this simple thing. Like I used to get told Like as a kid, I always had like olive skin, tanned really easily. Then when I turned like 15 or 16, I all of a sudden started getting sick. After I got type 1 diabetes, I like would burn all the time. And I would just be told, oh, just stay out of the sun. But no, like look into why you're not able to tolerate the sun again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. There's, yes. I mean, I cannot tell you story after story I have heard of when people remove the seed oils. Um how they can, you know, tolerate so much more sun. I think that is, that is very telling. Um, But I know like, you know, the, the time that we're recording this, this time of the year, we're, we're about to move into winter. And so some people are like, um, I can't be going outside and exposing my belly and my back and, you know, to the sun. So, um, so anyway, so now we can kind of talk about some of the things that we can do to help that. Yes. We don't have winter here in Florida. So I didn't think about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's always like 80 degrees or higher, basically. Um, but let's talk about let's talk about what how to optimize vitamin D levels from a nutritional perspective. And there are alternatives that you can use inside to help optimize vitamin D um, during the winter. Um, or you kind of just let your immune system have a little bit less vitamin D um, during the winter. It's kind of up to you. But the first thing to do in terms of nutrition and supplements 
is avoiding the supplements that will continue to just compound this problem, just set off these dominoes. Um, so chronic unopposed iron supplementation um, or iron in food sources, iron is just ubiquitous. It's in everything. It's in all processed cereals, um, grains, it's it's in birth control pills, it's, <laughs> it's in everything. And our bodies were not designed to deal with that much iron on a daily basis. And people say, but my iron's low on my blood. <laughs> and we'll get into this later. But we that need a iron whole is, other podcast for that. Right, right. It's a transport <laughs> issue, essentially. So there's iron that's right. stuck within tissues and not in the bloodstream because your body's like, there's too much of this. Let's get rid of it. Let's sequester it. Um, and then the same thing with zinc. So zinc supplementation is also thought to drive um, deficiencies of vitamin D because zinc can reduce copper levels. And then the copper like reduction can actually have a downstream effect on your metabolic rates. Like your thyroid function will, will be decreased and then nothing is going to be metabolized to active form, including vitamin D. Um, and then the second kind of step. So first step is avoiding the stuff that's just triggering it. Um, second step is to correct the underlying deficiencies that will drive vitamin D, D deficiencies. So like what cofactors, what other nutrients do you actually need to have adequate vitamin D levels? So the first one is copper. Copper is that counterpoint to our, to iron. So what it does is it actually essentially like goes into the tissues and switches itself out for iron to allow the iron to be um, released. So we need enough copper to really just move that iron out. So we need to focus on sources of bioavailable copper. And those are things like grass-fed beef liver, which I feel like I'm like the liver evangelist over here. I like tell people a day to take liver. I know I had somebody ask me the other day, like, if you could pick one thing, what would it be? I was like, ah, are you kidding? Um, but I said liver because I did. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, that probably pain Chelsea to write that. I mean, it's hard to pick <laughs> one thing, liver. but really, I mean. It's uh, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of things you need. So liver is really important. It's it's really like we talk about a lot. It's nature's multivitamin. Um, other things that have bioavailable copper are things like bee pollen. Um, especially from local bees, that's the best, but I also use beekeepers naturals. One thing to think about there is that it's actually contraindicated in asthma because again, or if you have severe environmental allergies, um, it's something where it could cause anaphylaxis if you're like super, super sensitive. So you have to be very careful with it. So make sure you talk to your doc about it. Um, so that's bee pollen. Um, and then the other things are like oysters we talk about all the time, um, mushrooms, and then whole food vitamin C. Um, so another, another concept we need to talk about more, but whole food vitamin C basically means vitamin C from a real food source. It's not, most vitamin C's are actually ascorbic acid, um, which is a a synthetic form derived from corn that lacks a lot of the beneficial enzymes and minerals like copper that actually help the vitamin C to be used well in the body. Um, and so ascorbic acid is really just a drain on the system versus whole food vitamin C being very nourishing. So that pure radiance brand, which I also should be sponsored by, um, I like their vitamin C powder because it's more economical than the capsules. Um, and I love it because it has the tyrosinase enzyme intact, which is a source of that bioavailable copper and helps everything to kind of work smoothly in terms of vitamin C metabolism in the body. I make Blair take that every day. She can't swallow capsules and I stir up that powder for her. She doesn't <laughs> Here like we it. go. Here, honey. I love that. I love that so much. Um, and then bone broth. We talk about bone broth a lot too, but bone broth is really important. It also has glycine, which is a relaxing amino acid, 
um, helps promote joint health, um, bone health, all those things. And again, it's a source of copper, especially if it's from good, healthy grass-fed animals. This is where I'm not talking about like your, your Swanson um, beef broth. <laughs> no MSG. Um, and then the second cofactor that's really important, I'm going to focus on three cofactors. There's like a million. But the second one I want to talk about is magnesium. Um, it's a cofactor in like over 3,000 enzymatic reactions. Um, some people say it's like 300 reactions. It's more like 3,000 or above. Um, and magnesium is the first mineral to go when we are under stress. And what that's called is it, it really, stress really just increases our magnesium burn rate. So we're going through the magnesium in our storage and we're not taking in enough magnesium. And so we become profoundly deficient um, and we it decreases our metabolism. Um, and so all of these things are related to our vitamin D. So we need magnesium to actually process the vitamin D well. So a couple of things you can try if you want to supplement supplement magnesium. So other than liver, um, magnesium is one of the supplements I like am an evangelist for as well. Um, but I like Jigsaw's Magnesium SRT because it is a sustained released form. That's what the SRT stands for. I like the B-free. Um, there's a, a one that has B vitamins and there's one that doesn't. But I have some clients that are sensitive to B vitamins, so I don't use the B form. I just use the B-free form. Um, and then there's also Magnesium Bicarbonate, which is a liquid form that you can actually make at home and is more economical. But I'll link to how to do that in the um, in the show notes. But it's really important with magnesium, start slowly and work up very, very gradually to avoid GI upset. Um, Oftentimes your body's been so depleted of magnesium, it doesn't even know what to do with it when it finally gets it. And so again, our goal is to get that red blood cell magnesium up to six, which is quite a feat, especially considering the stress in our life, uh, stress in our lives, um, all the sugar we're eating, the oxidative stress that we're under. Um, chronic disease can deplete magnesium. So getting it up to six is a feat, but it is extremely important to try to get there um, as much as you, as much as humanly possible. So again, that it's red blood cell magnesium. It's just not just regular old magnesium because the red blood cell is that higher concentration. So that's mag for you. And the last one is retinol. So retinol is the animal form of vitamin A. This is important. It is not beta carotene. It is not um, carrots. (laughs) The plant food form is just not complete. It's not bioavailable. And it can actually, because it's not complete, create further stress. Um, If you're using that as like your your source of of vitamin A and you're you're super dosing it, um, you have to be kind of careful with vitamin A itself. You don't want to take a million things that have vitamin A. Be careful. Look at the RDAs. Um, But that retinol, that active animal-based form of vitamin A, allows copper into our cells because copper is one of the biggest biggest sources of power for our cellular machinery, for our ATP. Um, And some good sources of retinol, um, beef liver capsules, and cod liver oil as well. Um, I like Rosita brand cod liver oil, and that also has complementary amounts of vitamin A and vitamin D for proper absorption. Um, so it has a little bit of vitamin D as well. In addition to the vitamin A, um, and the omega-3 that's in it, it has those fat soluble nutrients, the vitamin A and the vitamin D. Um, and the beef liver is also a great source of retinol. Yeah, that's good. The A and the D are kind of that, in that frenemy zone, right? We want, we want that <laughs> yes, in a good balance. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So the cod liver sure. is good, um, good for that. 
Okay. So the, so the, the three that you, there's, like you said, there's a lot, but the three you're focusing on copper, magnesium, and then um, retinol from vitamin A animal food sources. Correct. Okay. Correct. Cool. Yes. What else? The last thing we can do is we actually can consume vitamin D through food and supplements. So the, the preference for everything, I tell people this all day long, I'm a broken record. The preference for everything is food-based. Because the second you take a supplement, you're setting off a domino effect, especially if it's not a, a properly formulated supplement. Um, so food-based is the way to go if you can get your vitamin D, D level optimated, optimized, <laughs> optimated, <laughs> optimized through um, like food, sunshine, other lifestyle factors, increasing your magnesium, decreasing your stress, all that stuff. That's awesome. If you can't get there, this is where you go. Um, so this is the third step. So animal products do contain some vitamin D3. They mostly contain vitamin A, calcium, a couple of other things. Um, but fatty fish will have the highest amounts of D3. Um, and then like other animal products like eggs, meat, dairy contain less amounts. Um, and then this is stuff you want to avoid, but there's vitamin D3 in like processed almond milk, cereals, breads, margarine, juices, etc. I will add with a bunch of you know, cruddy iron as well. It's not just the vitamin D, it's a bunch of other synthetic stuff. Um, and those forms are usually poorly utilized anyway. And those foods will increase oxidative stress to the system. So those are not recommended at all. Any processed food that's fortified, um, try to get your, your nutrients from whole foods. And then a couple things to consider before you actually supplement. Like, let's say you've tried all these things, your D level is still low. You're worried about your risks. Um, a couple things that happen with vitamin D supplements, like we've talked about, they can increase calcium if your levels are greater than 42 of that, that um, active format of vitamin D um, because of the osteoclast, the bone breakdown activity. And that remember that vitamin D requires magnesium to be converted into its most biologically active form. So that 125 OHD2 form we talked about earlier. So the higher the dose of, of vitamin D you're consuming orally, um, the higher the demand for that magnesium conversion step. So let's say you take 50,000 IU of vitamin D, you just gave your body a whole bunch of something that it needs to get a whole bunch of magnesium to process because it's like, what is this? It wouldn't go outside and get 50,000 IU in one second. What you would do. Um, so that's something to think about. So you could have deficient magnesium because of vitamin D supplementation in excess. So if your magnesium is it continues to be low and your vitamin or and your vitamin D continues to be low as well. Just think about that. Um, think about that interplay between those two things. You're not having enough magnesium to help the D, the vitamin D be absorbed and utilized and converted into active form. Okay. Wow. I know, right? Mind blown. Um, and then the most natural form of vitamin D you can take if you need to take a supplement would be something like cod liver oil, again, like containing both vitamin A and vitamin D in a complementary ratio. And Rosita brand is really good for that. Um, and then if you are severely deficient, you can consider supplementing with vitamin D. Um, and but definitely talk to your doctor about it. If you're super low, it may be something where you take vitamin D while you work on the underlying issues. Make sure you understand everything else that's going on as well. So combine it with vitamin K2. K2 is another fat-soluble vitamin, fat-soluble activator, and it will reduce that like calcium release into the bloodstream. It'll help that calcium. It's just really a signal to 
let the calcium like go to bone <laughs> versus being like put out into the bloodstream and then creating high calcium levels um, with that vitamin D that you're taking. Um, and the other thing is to avoid taking more than 5,000 IU at one time um, because megadosing vitamin D alone, um, again, can deplete not only magnesium, but also retinol, so vitamin A. Um, and because of that, it can impair, you know, retinol vitamin A's action where it allows copper into the cells. And again, copper is like our metabolic machinery powerhouse. It, we really need it in the cells. So if we have low vitamin A and low magnesium, we have impaired conversion and then we don't have enough copper in the cells to actually do what it needs to do, help us have energy, help us fight off infection, all that stuff. Um, and so personally, I consider around 2,000, 3,000 um, QD, sorry, daily um, in a combined form with vitamin K2. That's considered to be relatively safe. Um, it can still have negative effects, but anything more than like 5,000 at a time, um, especially chronically over long periods of time, can create a lot of these issues. And again, like I was telling you guys earlier, I avoided this information for so long because it made me feel very conflicted. Like I've talked to so many people about vitamin D. I like made it like this big, amazing thing. And it is amazing for some folks, but we have to think about why things happen versus just banding them. And that is the real root of functional nutrition and functional nutritional therapy. That's why we do this, Chelsea, because yep. we're not just interested in making things look better on a piece of paper. We're interested in actually fixing the reason why things are wrong. That's right. Um, I Okay, let's kind of just do um, a quick kind of overview here. Like, so somebody, we're looking at vitamin D, um, and they get a test back, and it's going to be the 25-OH, right? Because that's what norm most people mm -hmm, are going to mm -hmm. get and look at. Okay, so let's say that's what we're working with. Say it is at... 40. Are you leaving it alone? Personally, it honestly depends. It depends if they are, depends what they're doing. If they're taking vitamin D and they're at 40, um, I would say look into other factors underlying that. Um, try to figure out, like I would look at other testing too. Like what's your magnesium look like? What does your calcium look like? What does your, your parathyroid look like? Um, how is this impacting other factors? If you're not taking vitamin D and you're at 40, I think for most people that's that's a perfectly sufficient level. Um, and for and they can they can sunbathe, they can do the sun stuff, they can get vitamin D from their food. Um, I'm not one to supplement in the absence of other symptoms of like of of deficiency or an overt deficiency like less than 20. Um, I just think we we need to look at why it's happening versus using the vitamin D. Um, as a crutch. And I did forget to mention this, the best form of vitamin D to take, um, I know we've talked a lot about, about colocalciferol, but there's been some, which is D3, but there's a, a, been a lot of rumblings about actually using vitamin D2, which is from mushrooms, to avoid some of the deleterious, the negative effects of D3 um, supplementation, I should say, not the actual thing that's in your body. <laughs> okay. So think about, think about that. But yeah, 40, 40 to 50 um, or 30 to 50 ish could be considered to be okay, but it's all very context dependent. Right. Um, it's hard, to, it's hard to paint a broad brush about it, but get your vitamin D checked. Don't just get the, the 25 OH, get the 125 as well. Um, and see where you're at with both. If there's a profound mismatch, like your, your 25 hydroxy is low 
and your 125 is high, look at, okay, what's going on with my conversion? Or if the opposite is true, if your 25 is is high and then your biologically active form is low, okay, what's going on here? Do I not have enough magnesium to convert this? Um, what's going on with my vitamin A? Um, and this all just comes back to eating real food the way God made it. I mean, we can talk, we can talk about this till we're blue in the face about the, like the metabolic machinery behind it, but look at what you're eating. What are you eating? And what are, what is your lifestyle? Like, are you getting enough sunshine? Um, are you reducing your stress? Are you creating boundaries? Are you saying no? <laughs> are you living in a perpetually depleted state? These are all things that are important, um, to be addressing. Yes. Okay. So, um, so when we're thinking about vitamin D, instead of maybe just rushing into a vitamin D supplement, really considering these, these cofactors, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, getting out in the sunshine. I mean, that is number one, I realize we're going into winter, but if you live in a place where, um, you can get access to some sunshine, you know, it's not too cold, let's do it. Um, and then perhaps, making sure you have enough magnesium, um, the copper, which would be good through liver. So Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to like, kind of like a little bit of a a broad overview, liver, cod liver oil, magnesium, sunshine, real food, the way God made it. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that good? Did I miss something? I mean, there's a lot of things here, but just kind of, if we can hit those and the, you know, and if you are taking, um, vitamin D, then having the K2 with it is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, anything else is kind of a broad level. Yeah. Definitely having K2 with it is really important. Um, because that, that prevents the calcium that's, that's like, secreted when you take vitamin D from going to the wrong place, <laughs> mm-hmm, right. um, like calcifying an artery versus going to a bone. We don't um, want that. Is, we definitely don't want calcification anywhere besides our bone. <laughs> Do you think, um, I had this question the other day about, you know, sublingual versus a capsule. What do you mm-hmm. think? I don't you have, have any particular type of type of feeling about it. Um, I think the, the drops are usually D3. Um, and I'm kind of leaning more towards the D2. Like I will say, I still haven't figured this out completely for myself because of my genetic like predispositions. Mm. Um, so I still take drops that are vitamin D3, but a very small amount. Um, and I found that I've been able to be sufficient, um, vitamin D wise. Um, but yeah, I think drops, um, are usually better absorbed, um, of anything. If you can find a D2 form, that would be optimal. And, um, oh yeah. And to mention the vitamin C powder, or capsules like that real food vitamin C, um, whole food vitamin C, and then um, like bee pollen, propolis, that kind of stuff for bioavailable copper. It also has some vitamin D in it, which is cool. Propolis does. Oh, I love that from the beekeepers naturals. Um, Okay. So I told the person, um, it was Monica. She's probably listening. She asked me and I said, you know, I think, I mean, I really think either is fine. I think if you, if you have digestive issues, maybe the, Mm -hmm. the drops are, you know, going to be helpful. Um, but I think the cap, you know, the capsules are fine too. I like that. Um, what is it? Is it seeking health? Which one? The D3. Okay. The D and the K. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Um, And that's what I have in full script. A lot of this is in full script, y'all. So um, for those of you who are clients and have the full script account, we have a lot of this stuff in there. Um, Okay. Wow. That was a lot. Thank you. Thank you for being on today, my friend. Of course. 
Anytime. So good. We'll have to do another. I want to do some more of these deep dives with you. I think these are these are fantastic. I know um, we might have a lot of questions. So you guys just let us know all the, yes, you know, hit us up. <laughs> yep. Let us know. And we will have the show notes if you want to go back and look at all of this stuff. Um, and that's good. Anything else you want to share before we go? I think that's it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to continue to diving deep into this stuff. And yes, please let us know if you have questions. We'd be happy to do a part two and answer questions about this. Um, I think it's really, really important, but just kind of come back to the last like two minutes of this episode. If you want that like really broad (laughs) overview to be like, okay, well, what do I actually do with this information? I think it's easy sometimes to get stuck in overwhelm mode of there's all these competing things. I mean, I mean, like Chelsea and I both get stuck there a lot. Um, so take a deep breath when, with any new information that you see and think about how it fits into what you already know is true um, based on what you know biblically, based on what you know from your common sense, <laughs> um, you know, your godly compass. Like, what do you know to be true? And um, when a concept is challenging to you, but it also resonates with your godly compass, uh, I think it's worth diving in a little bit deeper too. But I thank you, Chelsea, for having me on. And yes, thank you all for listening. We appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, so much. All right, everybody, take a deep breath, get some sunshine, have some liver, drink some clean water, <laughs> it's gonna, get some rest. It's going to be okay. <laughs> it's all going to be good. All right, my friends, thanks so much for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week. And I will talk to you soon. Hi, everyone. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.